The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm 119, 105, 106. Dr. Paul Tripp, I love this guy, but he writes, when was the last time you needed to use your cell phone as a flashlight? Perhaps to look for something in the garage, read a menu at a darkly lit restaurant. Yeah, is it just me or do you guys notice that the restaurants are getting darker these days? It's like, are they trying to conserve on electricity or something? But anyway, uh, darkly lit restaurant or find something in the backyard at night. Why did you need it? Your answer probably includes some expression of dark or darkness. As a sinner living with other sinners in a fallen world, you encounter darkness every day. While you may experience Instagram-worthy sunny day picnic lunches, the reality is that life is more of a midnight walk through the woods. On any given day, you probably encounter more darkness than you do truth. So to move forward without danger and to get where you are meant to go, you need something to light your way. And then he says, no passage gets at this need and God's provision better than Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Because it sure does seem in some ways that there's a lot that's wrong these days. Something is just not right these days. Something dark, maybe undercover, something happening behind the scenes that we just don't know, that we just don't see. It seems as if the darkness is all around, but maybe we're having difficulty seeing with the apparent light. Did you get that? We have difficulty seeing with the apparent light. What is difficult in this new time in our lives here in 2024 is that the darkness is not easy to see. Whoa, that's a weird thing for you to say, Shane. The darkness, not easy to see. Why? The reason why I say that is because today it seems like, uh, at least to me, it seems like darkness looks a lot like the light. What? Because darkness, it looks like the light. See, it reminds me of a movie that I watched. I can't, I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was, but it's just one of those days where I'm flipping through the channels, I just landed on something because I was just too tired to push the button, right? So you just stop. Anyway, these people were out in space, and there was these transparent walls that were all around them. And what would happen is when everyone would, would come out, the, the, everything would change. Um, and, and they were deceiving the people at this time. Everything would change and they would see like just earthly stuff. Like they were outside somewhere, right? And then one of the guys finally goes, do you guys notice that there's something weird about, something not right happening? He says, it's daytime and the sun is shining. He goes, but do you guys notice that we can look directly at it? And everyone's thinking, yeah. Because normally, right, you can't look at the sun directly. It hurts. He goes, the other thing too is notice we're looking at the sun and I don't feel any heat. And then he said, when was the last time somebody got sunburned? And this started this whole thing, like there's something wrong here. There, there was light, but there's something wrong with it. So that's what it feels like today, right? It, it feels like that there is light, but there's something wrong with it. There's something that's just not right. And maybe the confusion we experience today is the reason why we're losing confidence in much of what we used to call authorities. We, we elect these leaders in our country to become leaders and they're light and these people are promising hope and they're promising a better future. They're promising better things for everybody. But there's something just not right Something just not right. One of my friends, um, 
One of my friends from high school, uh, he, I don't think so, but he, he thinks he lives in the ghetto. You know, I'm just like, you know, you live in the ghetto in, in South Denver. Like, South Denver is not the ghetto. I live in Central Aurora, okay? So, you know, don't, don't be talking to me about ghetto. Anyway, so he, he's just like, you know, that's the thing with the politicians. How many years have they been promising to clean up the ghetto? My whole life. And it seems to be getting worse, not better. So he's starting to think like, see, here's the thing, Shane. There's, they've promised hope. We elected them. They're leaders. But there's just something not right. There's something wrong. And so that seems to be kind of the trend in our culture today. That yes, we see light, but there's something wrong with it. You know what, Shane? It feels like the light that we see is actually darkness. That's the only way I can explain it. We can't trust anybody anymore. We can't trust anything anymore. I mean, we, we know that, you know, we see the person that's on, on the box on the TV, right? It's like, we're supposed to be able to trust this guy because this guy is on the TV. And then, and then we, this social media is just crazy right now. We, we, aren't we supposed to trust the people that we see on social media? I mean, because, right? I mean, nobody lies on the internet. Who can we trust anymore? How are we supposed to go? We know that we don't want to follow darkness. We want to follow light. So we're following the light, but the whole time we're following it, we're going, there just seems to be something wrong with the light. How are we supposed to see the light in darkness when darkness looks like the light? I mean, the Bible says even the devil will appear as an angel of light. This is not a new phenomenon. We see this dynamic throughout all the scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Now, this is important. Hear, hear this one. This one's a really important one. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the God of this world, i.e., or, or not i.e., but the devil is blinding people and keeping them from seeing the light. Now, this is, this is what's extraordinary to me. The amount of influence our culture has over even the modern evangelical church today. Watch this. In reality, the darkness of this world has been seen. We know it. And it continues with the God of this world who is doing all he can to blind the minds of unbelievers or people in this world, keeping them from actually seeing the light. So this is the, this is the irony of all of it, right? The world is full of unbelieving people who are being kept from the light by the God of this world, and they're casting a false light that are causing professing Christians to wander from the light of Scripture to follow the false light of this world, which is no light at all. So we as Christians, we're like, hey, hey, man, the devil's not blinding me from the light. No, it's even worse. You are following the people who the devil has blinded. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. I'm, I, I've been, I'm, like I said, I've been really active over the last couple of years here. I've been really active 
in the whole world of, of social media and, and jumping into the new marketplace, right? Like we talked about that social media is now the new marketplace where Paul used to go and have conversations about God and preach the gospel and all that stuff. We're in a new marketplace and I'm seeing this stuff and I'm seeing smart individuals who reject God influence the, influencing the thoughts and the ideas of Christians today. How can that be? Yeah, we don't listen to the devil, but we listen to the people the devil is in control of. Yes, no, 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 no. Good job, Cece. She's preaching for me today. The reality is that so much has happened in the recent culture since COVID and all the issues that we have in this world has seen exponential growth. The wealth and availability of information is at an all-time high. Did you know that, that people are saying this anymore? It's a waste of time for you to memorize anything these days. It's a waste of time for you to memorize stuff. You know why? Because all that information is right there in your phone. Why waste time memorizing when all you got to do is go click, 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 bang. I mean, it's so much so, it's like, what is that scripture that says something about Jesus and he did something awesome? And I guarantee you the scripture that you're thinking of comes up. It's just all there. Everything is now at our fingertips. I remember in a pastor's meeting, this was like, it was just like so extraordinary to me. We were in a pastor's meeting and at these pastor's meetings, we have pastors of different levels of education. We got PhDs, we got guys that have masters, got guys that have bachelors, we got pastors that didn't even go to Bible college and all that stuff, and, you know, shame on them. No, I'm just kidding. But, but they were there and it was amazing to me. We were like, okay, so today, I can't remember what the topic was, but let's just say today we're going to talk about theodicy or something like that, right? And so there's a pastor that was there and he goes, theodicy? He's like, what's that? And we go, oh man. Okay, well, you know what? Hey, just hang in there. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have this conversation. Just hang in there. And he was like, okay. And he immediately pulls out his phone. And within a matter of minutes, minutes, He's contributing to the conversation. Like all of a sudden, within minutes, the dude was an expert in theodicy. It's all right there. It's there. So much information. It's like the real life matrix. I mean, one day, is that's what it's going to be, right? We're just going to have this wire that's on your phone that you're going to plug into your brain, push a button and be like, hey, I don't know anything about, uh, I don't know anything about how to install a new roof. I'm going to... I know exactly what we need to do. I need a couple of volunteers. We're, we're going to just, that's just how it's going to be. So here's the thing. It's like our second brain. Unfortunately, with all the wonderful access to good information, we also got an increase in access to a whole bunch of bad information as well. Another one of my friends is convinced now that the earth is flat. This earth flat, this flat earth thing is going to be the bane of my existence. He's convinced and he's arguing with you over this stuff. But Shane, how are we supposed to know? Some of you are thinking, well, well, yeah, there's this. Do I listen to the guy on the internet? Do I listen to my doctor? You know, should I listen to my tax guy? Or should I listen to, you know, the person that I watched on the news? I mean, who, do I, who am I listening to? I just don't know who. And the problem is, is that I know that a lot of this stuff is darkness. But how in the world am I supposed to understand? How am I supposed to tell the difference between light and darkness when darkness looks just like the light? How do we know the difference? The answer is profound, yet easy. How easy is it? It's one word, Bible. Let's take a look at our passage today. Psalm 119, verses 105 to 106. Psalm 119, 105 to 106. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I've promised it once, and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous 
regulations. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we pray that it will truly be a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at is the wonderful characteristic of the word of God being a light for us in the darkness. The second thing we're going to look at is we're going to see the failure of the promises and the faithfulness of the promise of God to rescue his people. So our, th- our thesis statement today is this, and like I said, my thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose confidence in the lamp given to us by the living God, it is the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that will pierce the darkness, even if it appears as light, to show us the good news that Jesus is the light of the world. So the light a light unto my path. It is clearly, many scholars will say this, the best known scripture in all of Psalm 119. And we got probably Amy Grant to thank for that, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? So it's there. We know it. We memorize this, we have it, it's there, it's been with us. And it shows that the gracious God that we serve gave us a wonderful gift that the word would be a guide for conduct, life, understanding, truth, all that we need for our walk and our journey in this dark world. It is the gift of light. Now, I love the way Spurgeon writes this. Spurgeon says, we walk through this world and are often called to go out into its darkness. Let us never venture there without the life-giving word, so that, if our feet, so that our feet will not slip. Everyone should use the word of God personally, practically, and habitually, so he can see his way and what lies in it. When darkness settles all around me, the word of the Lord reveals my way like a flaming torch. Now, back in the day, before there was electricity, now I know some of you are, you know, some of you in the the younger persuasion, you're probably thinking like, there was such a day where there wasn't electricity? Like some young people can't even fathom the day when there, there wasn't any TV, like There was a time where there wasn't TV, you know? It's like they think like during caveman days, there's TV still, right? (laughs) And and phones used to have cords. Remember those squiggly cords that you used to have? And when we dialed, we had to use the, yeah. Anyway, there was a time where there wasn't electricity. And many towns there, there were no fixed lamps. There were no light posts shining down on the road or walkways. And when people traveled, we're told by cultural anthropologists that they carried lamps so that they would not stumble into the ditch, walk over a ledge, or fall into a sewer. Without a lamp, the dangers were endless, and it was eminent for people back then. So you had to have a lamp. You had to walk with the lamp. You had to have it. You had to run with it. You had to to travel with it. You had to make sure that you had a lamp because when it got dark, you wouldn't be able to see anything. Now, for many of you, if you grew up in the country, or for me, uh, in the summers, like I said, I grew up on a pecan farm in Texas. And even with the light at the house, if you traveled a little bit beyond, like the dark was absolutely incredible. You couldn't see anything. Some of you, when you go deep into the mountains, you can even tell and see that. Like it's so dark you can't see that the only light that you have is the stars that's shining down on the earth. Incredible. But man, have you ever been into a place where it was just pitch black and you couldn't see anything? It's scary. I don't know what it was. I don't know, Charlie, I don't know if this is like a Texas thing or what. But man, the basements in West Texas were the darkest things I've ever experienced in my life. Why it was in Texas, I don't know. But seriously, you would go into a basement in Texas, you throw the light, and you couldn't see anything. 
Like you could be doing your hand like this and you couldn't see anything. It was not uncommon for you to walk into a wall, walk into something. It was pitch black when you walked around at night. You know, you wake up, you have to go to the bathroom, but grandma turned off all the lights because grandma is trying to conserve on electricity, right? So turns off all the lights thinking that we're not going to, and then you're trying to find the bathroom. But first you got to get out of the room. Can't even get out of the room because you can't see nothing. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. It was astounding. So to me, growing up in this, it like gave me this appreciation of what it is when there's darkness. Like when there's real darkness, so much dark that you can't see anything, it's a very scary thing. And that's what the Bible is trying to explain to us is that in this world, we are experiencing the supernatural figurative, of course, a supernatural darkness or preternatural darkness that's out there. You are not going to go through this life being able to make sense of anything if you don't have light. That's what Spurgeon is saying. Don't do it. Christian, don't do it. Don't even think about engaging in the world and engaging in our culture and walking out into this dark world without your light. The dangers are endless. The dangers are eminent. This is the life and the culture that we live in, in this dark world. We will not ever know anything around us, nor its paths, nor its directions, if we do not have the word of God. It shows us which way we're to go when we can't see or know the right way. The word of God will give us direction. We know which way to go. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. Proverbs 6, 23. For their command is a lamp, and their instruction is a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. Psalm 43.3, Psalm 43.3, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There's no way, no way you're getting to God's holy mountain without his word. Thomas Manton, he writes, Austin reckons up 288 opinions about the chiefest good. Men are seeking out many inventions, looking here and there to find. And this whole time, our lamp is right there before us. And here's the big one. The word of God, as our light shines and shows us our direction, it also shows us our conviction. And this is a big one for us today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13, Ephesians 5, 13, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. See, I think a lot of our aversion to Scripture, why we are natural, naturally resistant to the Scripture, we don't like it when our evil ways that are in us are exposed. We don't like that, man. We don't like it, you know? It's like sometimes me and Janine be getting into an argument and Janine, she's just, she's just a brilliant lady. She'd be quoting a scripture and my first reaction is, well, you need to read that in context. <laughs> Did you go to the Greek? Don't be trying to give me no, and the whole time inside I'm just dying because she's right. Why? Because the word of God exposes, doesn't it? How many times y'all have been sitting there reading and you're just reading and it's just like, oh, and God's your word and you're just reading his word and reading his word and reading his word and then it comes to that one thing that's all about you and then you read it and it's like something comes out of the Bible and goes whoops, right into your heart and it's just like, that's me. That is me. What am I gonna do about this? You know what? I don't... I don't like this book anymore. And we reach for the remote control. We don't like it because it exposes the things that we don't like in us. It shows us that when we think we're right, we're actually wrong. It shows us that we try to convince ourselves that we're, we're going to be okay, but then we see in the end that we're not. It exposes all our plans. Oh, Lord, give me a million dollars and I promise I'll give 90% of it away. 
And then you read the Bible and realize the intents and plans that man has, the schemes of man, lead to death. Well, that doesn't help me. But here's the thing, family, what it is, it's a warning that shows us all the dangers before us that will be pits, stumbling blocks, all those things that stand in our way to the door of heaven. And I think that's the thing, we get mad at God because God is warning us and God is putting all these things and obstacles in there to keep us from going down this path so we can make sure that we go to the right path and, and we end up into the place that we want to be. He clears away all the stumbling blocks and all the pits and gives us the light and all that stuff in order for us to get to the doors of heaven and the whole time we're all mad at him because he's making things difficult for me. They're just warnings. They're warnings to let us know. It shows us our fruit. It shows us the lack of fruit. It shows us that we're fig trees that aren't bearing any fruit and that our destiny is a destiny we really don't want. 1 John chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. 1 John 2, 10 and 11. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. You hear that? Anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. And this person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. We can't be in this situation. If you are in this situation, then you're living in darkness. You're walking in darkness, and you don't know where the way to go. So stop trying to think you know the way to go, because you don't. You have been blinded by the darkness. Well, but then Shane, how are we supposed to know? People will say, well, why don't you just trust your heart? Uh, we don't trust our hearts. We don't follow our heart. We follow Christ. Thomas Mann, he also writes, what will be the end of his going? He mistakes the way, sins for duties, and good for evil. Or he makes mistakes and mistakes the end, thinking he's going to heaven. Now, this is the reason why I wanted to say this, because I need you guys to hear this. This is Thomas Manton. He was a Puritan way back in the day. Okay, this is, he's a Puritan way back in the day. Thinking he's going to heaven, these are his words that I pulled out of his book, when he, rather, he's on the highway to hell. Thinking he's going to heaven when he's on the highway to hell. This is what the Bible does. It shines a light and it shows us that we're going in the wrong direction. The Bible will show you that if you think you're going to heaven and you're not, the Bible will show you that you're actually on the highway to hell. We don't like it. Some of you be like, hey man, I've been a Christian for 50 years, Shane. You're telling me that this whole time I've been on the highway to hell? Possibly. If the Bible is not your lamp and if the Bible is not your light. And it does. It gets worse. Why? Because we by nature, we love the darkness instead of the light. We're completely fine. We're content to remain in the darkness, right? John 3.19, John 3.19. This is one of the scriptures that's so important for us to do, but we skip it because we're focused on John 3.16. And we just stop there and say, John 3.16, and we just put the Bible down and we just, woohoo, John 3.16. That's right, that's my motto, that's my life verse. A couple verses here. And the judgment is based on this fact God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light because their actions were evil. 
More and more today, family, we see the clear and the absolute need for us to have the scriptures and for it to be our ultimate guide to our direction. The more and more today our confidence in the scriptures are shaken and our culture continues to strengthen its grips on our heart. And this is shown clearly as to how we respond. How do we respond to the critics of the scriptures? Now, a lot of times we, in our culture, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get understanding when it comes to our culture, when it comes to scripture and all this stuff. And the bottom line is for many of us as Christians, I see it. I see this happen. We get embarrassed and we can quickly dismiss the issues, putting more confidence in weakening our excuses for scripture. What am I trying to say there? We are embarrassed by what the Bible says in our culture today. Our culture will say certain things and, and what our culture condemns, the Bible doesn't condemn. What the culture doesn't condemn, the Bible condemns. And we're just like, well, you know, uh, we make excuses for the Bible. Well, you know, the, the Bible was written a long time ago and you know, it just, we, you know, it just hasn't progressed the way we've progressed. I, 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 this is, that's the one thing, the excuse I get from Christians that I hate. Well, we, we are more progressed, you know, as a culture, as a society, as a people. And the Bible is just kind of archaic. It was there. It's like, you know, you know where that kind of thinking comes from? It comes from this thing called evolution. Oh, I don't follow evolution. What you just said was evolutionary. Yeah, of course. We're better as a species today because as a species today, we're, to, we're one step closer. I know more than my grandparents, you know, because in this situation, evolutionary mindset, I'm one, closer, one step closer to evolution. They're one step closer to the monkey. And we think that our culture is not affecting the, our view when it comes to the scriptures and we've got to stop this. We've got to see this. We've got to recognize this. Anytime we're in a position where the culture brings up something about the Bible and if we're embarrassed with it, it's because the culture has a grip on your heart. Yeah? We gotta stop being embarrassed of what the Bible has to say. I'm telling you, family, if you really look at these passages of scriptures and really try to understand apart from our culture, you will realize and you will recognize that we live in a very unjust culture. And it's, and it's weird to us because God is the definition of justice. Why, for Christians, does the Bible ever go on trial? The Bible is to never go on trial. The culture is. The culture is always judged in light of scripture, never the other way around. I am confident in the scriptures. I believe that the scriptures is good in all that it prescribes and it's good and I stand by it all the way. And then people will be like, well, Shane, what about slavery? We talked about that already. So let's do another one today. What about the Bible's, Bible doesn't condemn rape? See, what happens is as Christians, we get this stuff. We hear that, well, the Bible, you know, has regulations for slavery. The Bible has regulations for rape. And it's just like, see, the Bible is immoral, Shane. The God in the Bible is, he's immoral that he allows all these types of things. And then it's just like, we as Christians, we go, yeah, you know what? The Bible was written so long ago. You know, we've evolved and stuff like that. So, you know, that's just the Old Testament. We got to understand this in light of the New Testament. That's our cop-out. And so the world just fulfilled its goal. You just put them in a position where they're good now. And you as a Christian, your confidence in Scripture is just shaken. Can I really trust the Bible? Yeah, why does God do that? That just seems odd. That just seems weird. Why would he have regulations for rape? Why isn't it the, that the punishment is more swift? So some accuse the Bible of immorality. 
The Bible is immoral. God is immoral. If, if, the, if the God of the Bible is real, he is a monster. That's what I get. That's what happens. Then I have to sit there and I have to explain to them. You are making a judgment based on principles you received from your culture. And if you are honest, our culture is not just. It's not. There's no justice in our culture. But the Bible shows that God is okay with rape. Okay, so here we go. First of all, nowhere, I repeat nowhere, you're going to get this because this rape thing is the popular one that's going out right now. You're going to get this. It's going to come up at some point. What about the Bible? And the Bible doesn't, you know, doesn't bring about punishment for rape. First of all, nowhere in the scripture does God say it's okay to rape somebody. Okay, so take it from me. I looked, I researched, you know, I get it's God. We got all kinds of tools now to do this stuff. The Bible does not say it's okay to rape somebody. Okay, you remember Dinah, the concubine of the Levite, the men of Sodom, Lot giving his daughter, Amnon raped Tamar. All of these stories, all of them in scripture were condemned and all of them were devastating. But this is what happens. In Deuteronomy, we see, or, or before we get there, in Deuteronomy, we see that if a man rapes a married woman, he's put to death. It's clearly there. You rape a married woman, you are put to death. Now, there's that whole thing about, you know, if you rape the woman in the country, only the man dies. But if you rape a woman in the city, you know, because the Bible expects you to scream. Women, if you're in the city, scream. All right? But if you don't scream, they're going to think that it was consensual. And, you know, so then both of you all get put to death. But... Here's the thing. This is the problem. This is what the world wants to grab and the world wants to use against us at the church. The provision is for the man who rapes a virgin. Now think about this in our culture. In our culture, when you, hear, when you read this, you're going to not like it. Because watch what happens. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 to 29. Deuteronomy 22, 28 to 29. If you are, if you are bound up with our culture, when you read this, you're not going to like it. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman for he has violated her. Can, he can never divorce her as long as he lives. So as you saw in scripture that you know, Moses was allowed to give people a certificate of a divorce because their hearts were hardened, you know, all of that stuff. Now, in this situation, you rape a woman, you have to marry her. Number one, you got to marry her, and you can never divorce her. It does not matter. Whatever excuse you do, that's, that's what you get. Now, people will be like, where's the justice in that? The woman got raped by this dude, and now she got to marry him? People are like, man, this God is a messed up God, Shane. Well, they say that because the culture, our culture rejects this. You rape a woman, you know, you should die. And people in our culture be like, but our culture is just saying, you rape a woman, you go to prison. No, really, if you rape a woman, you should die. And then you tell me that our culture is just? Rape a woman, her life is completely destroyed She's going to have nightmares about this her whole life, and the guy who did it is sitting in prison, reading all the book he wants, sleeps as long as he wants, three meals a day. They get drugs, they get cigarettes, they get conjugal visits. Yeah, that sounds just to me. Anyway, that's just me. I, I'm, I'm not running for office, so I should stop. Okay? Now watch this. Here's the thing. Well, with Shane, what if, what if she absolutely despises the guy? Now, the, the rape victim, she has to marry the dude? Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 to 17. Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 to 17. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. So same idea. If the father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay the money equal to the bride price for virgins. So here's the idea. The father has the right to stop it. The father has a right to come in and just say, hey, you know what? I understand that this is a rape thing. You have to marry her. But she doesn't want to marry you. And as her father, I'm saying no. 
Okay, so the Father can block it. But why the provision? Why this? Why in the world would God not command that the ripest be killed for such a horrible and a despicable act? Why would he not do this? See, this is where the question comes in and, we, and people will question the goodness of God. He just makes up these things. He doesn't care about us. He just does this kind of, he's going to let the rapist, he's going to reward the rapist by making him marry the girl and making him pay for her? You know, the key for us to understand this is in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 16. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 16. This is when Amnon, uh, when Amnon raped Tamar. And in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 16, no, no, cried Tamar. Now watch what she says here. Sending me away now. Amnon just got done raping her. And she says this, sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. Our God is just. Just trust it. Trust him. Here's his. Tamar just said it. What you are doing by throwing me out and getting me out of your life, that's worse that is way worse than what you just did to me. He just raped her and he's sending her away. Why would that be worse? See, God is giving the woman who was raped a chance. That's why the provision is given. Do you know what, according to cultural anthropology shows? In cultural anthropology, we see throughout all the cultures and everything when it comes to that during that time. According to cultural anthropology, rapes for the woman resulted in either slavery or prostitution. If you were raped as a woman, that's pretty much your life after that. Your life, slavery or prostitution if you were not the daughter of the king. Marriage back then wasn't simply romance. Today we think of marriage as just the romance thing. It's like we're gonna share our lives with somebody who we love. But back then there were real dependencies. How would this woman live? Because once she got raped, no man would want her. No man wanted her. It was damaged. It wasn't damaged. You know, it's like if you damage a car, you know, hey, we'll give you a discount. Oh, okay, I'll take the damaged car before dinner. It wasn't like that when it came to rape. There was no discounts. There were real dependencies. How would she live? Where would she get money? She was an outcast. She was desolate, especially when mom and dad passed away. She was in ruin. They would buy damaged products, but they wouldn't buy a raped woman. So what happened to Tamar? 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now, since he is your brother. Don't you worry about it. And then what did it say? Then Tamar lived happily ever after. Mm -mm. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother's house. Don't do this, Amnon. What you're going to do by throwing me out and getting rid of me is worse than what you did to me. The woman, no life, no home, no children, no interest from any other man. It was over. Life was over. This is the provision that God made to salvage a life for the victim. You see, we don't know. In our culture, we're making judgments on what's right and what's wrong outside of scripture. And if we do that, we don't know when all it takes is just a simple understanding of the scripture and realizing and trusting that God knows what he's talking about. He's going to give this woman a chance, a woman to have a life, a woman to have a house, a woman to have children. or she just has a desolate life. Now again, if she absolutely can't stand the look of the guy, the father could still refuse. 
but the woman yet will still live out the rest of her life in, desol in desolation. God is always looking out for justice. God is the definition of justice. In our culture today, I wonder if we even know what justice is anymore. S somebody comes, burns down our house. We got no money to fix it. Hey, I got a great idea. Let's throw him in prison. And he'll learn his lesson. So I can rebuild my house by myself. What do you think justice is that the Bible shows? Ah, uh -uh. you're going to be his servant till he repays the debt. But Shane, you don't understand, man. Slavery is, is it's illegal. You can't have it. That can't be the case. You can't do it. It does not matter. And the Bible, and the Bible is unjust. God is unjust because he allows for it. And I always ask the question, are you an American? Yeah. You do know that our country doesn't outlaw all slavery. Go look at the 13th Amendment. You can still have slavery in our country today as punishment for crimes. And you know what God made provisions for? Slavery as punishment for crimes. Wow. Justice, family. It's the scripture. I believe this because the scripture says it's okay. And even when we're in this thing where there's cultural opposition, I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to side with scripture always. I'm always going to side with scripture. Because God shows himself to be true. His justice shines like the noonday sun constantly. It never fails. We don't get embarrassed with scripture. We don't. You stand by it. Hey, if you don't know the answer for it, that's okay. You stand by it. You know, and if you're having a conversation, please feel free to text me. You know, you're at Applebee's and you're talking to somebody, they bring up this good question. Hey, yeah, 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 I'm listening. Text me. But you don't even have to text me. If there is an issue, go to Google. All the questions are answered 50 times over. You know why, family? Because the Bible never loses. It never loses. People have been attacking the Bible for centuries now, and the Bible never, ever loses. When all the dust settles, the Bible is standing there smiling in all of its glory. Family, it's the vow of the promise that we have in the scriptures. Either we're going to believe it or we're not. There is no middle ground. There's not. There's no neutrality in this. In our country, we're all big about neutrality. Oh, I don't want to take sides. You realize as a Christian, God does not allow you to be neutral. Jesus says you are either for me, and if you're not for me, you're what? You're against me. There's no neutrality in this. But my question is, where else are you going to go? And the vow of the psalmist is to obey the word of God. But the reality is, is we do not and we did not. We can't even keep track of the many times we broke the commands of God. But even if you broke only one of these, you know, I think of like Janet Bowman. Like, what is Janet Bowman's sin? What, what, like, what's her sin? Like, what does Janet Bowman do? You know, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't, I'm not with her 24-7, so I don't even know. I mean, she's just this sweet lady just there. She smiles when I'm preaching, nods her head, says amen, even when it's not a good point. You know, she's awesome. That, I just refuse to believe she sins. Now, I used to think that about Connie until I found out she was a Bronco fan. If you're a Bronco fan, I know you sinned this year. But you know what James says? James makes something really clear. If we break even the smallest of the commands, and we break only one of them, if you break one of the smallest of the commands, you are still as guilty before God as somebody who broke all of it. God's 
righteousness, God's holiness demands perfection. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. It was like the time of the judges. People do what is right in their own eyes today. And that's what it's like today, even within our culture. There's so much wrong, so much deception. We don't even realize it. We think that we're shining a light, but yet what we're doing is embracing the darkness. We need to repent. We need to believe. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. There is not a person on earth who always does good and never sins. And even when we think we see the light, we're still embracing the darkness. But family, I got some good news for us today. In the covenant of redemption, the agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son promised to obey the word of the Father. The Son, like our psalmist, made a vow. He was going to keep God's word. He kept that promise. He promised once. He promised again. He did it. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death we should have died so that we can have the wonderful everlasting life that God has ordained for us. We can have life and life more abundant because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sin. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Family and the word that is our light and a lamp unto our feet also sheds light on something really awesome. You know what that is? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is here. Salvation is here. This is the beauty of the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. The word of God is our guide. It will not let us down. Family, it will not let you down. It has not let me down. Anybody that I know of that has rested and built their life upon scripture, it has not let them down either. It will not let us down. Hear the word of God. Trust the word of God no matter what the world may shine on the subject. Trust in the Lord. He will make our paths straight. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.